0: Well, good morning. It is, uh, it's very exciting for me to get to be here this morning. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name's Chris. I work here. I'm on staff at Southwood. I get to hang out with the uh, junior high and high school students. And from time to time, uh, they let me get up here on the big boy stage and, uh, do work. So, so I'm excited this morning to get to, uh, be up here for a change and, and, uh, and just share a little bit about what I've been learning the last couple of weeks. It's especially exciting for me. Um, first of all, this is the last 930 service, so I kind of feel like I'm making history. You know, that's, that's cool. You know, the last guy up here at 930. Uh, but more than that, uh, we've been going through this series this summer called Unlikely Heroes. We've been looking at a bunch, of, uh, a bunch of lives from the Old Testament and seeing God's work through different people in the Old Testament. This morning... We're going to look at the life of Joseph and why this is particularly cool for me as a youth pastor is because we're introduced to Joseph when he's 17 years old, when he's a teenager. And that's who I hang out with and work with all the time. And it's really cool because something happens in Joseph's life at 17 years old that directs the course of the rest of his life that shapes the man that he would become, which is really exciting for me because then I I can grab all my knucklehead 17-year-olds and be like, come on, man, let's go. Let's let's have a vision for your life. Let's see God's plan for your life. Let's see a destiny for your life. But not just for them, uh, for for all of us this morning. I think there's a a really cool picture uh, behind this, this man, Joseph, and behind his life. But I was actually interested to find, as I was preparing for this message, that uh, there is some debate as to whether or not Joseph um, could actually technically be classified as a hero. Okay, so uh, I don't know if this is interesting to you or not, but it kind of was to me, so I'm going to share it with you anyway. So uh, there's basically three views of this section of scripture, Joseph's life, it's Genesis 37 to Genesis chapter 50. Uh, And there's basically three views as to what kind of literature this Joseph story could be classified as. The first view is that it's wisdom literature. So uh, like the book of Proverbs or the book of Ecclesiastes, they would say that this section of scripture is wisdom literature because there's a lot of parallel themes to the book of Proverbs. So for example, Joseph in his story, it's obvious that he feared the Lord more than he feared people. Okay. Uh, We also see that Joseph was, Uh, described as a wise and understanding man. He was constantly giving wise counsel, another theme that we see a lot in Proverbs. And then we see in Joseph's story a very crazy episode where he avoids the adulterous woman. We're actually going to look at that this morning. It'll be exciting. But that's a big theme in the book of Proverbs is avoiding the adulterous woman. And so they say, okay, well, Joseph's story is wisdom literature. But then people, the second view is that, no, it's, it's it's probably more of just a short story. It has a, a clear beginning, a clear end. It starts when he's it ends when he dies, okay? There's plot development throughout several continuous scenes. There's conflict, there's climaxes, there's conclusions. There's all this stuff. So Joseph is it's a short story. But then lastly, there's this idea that it is actually heroic literature, okay? Um, which would be perfect for me this morning, because I'm supposed to be preaching on the fact that he's an unlikely hero, Right? wrong because uh this guy his name's alan ross he is probably one of the foremost scholars on the uh, on the book of genesis and uh all the the pastors here at grace love reading this guy's book it's called creation and blessing it's this big old book like this big on the book of genesis right and this is what he said about the heroic literature classification for joseph he says that this classification is not totally satisfying awesome uh Unlike classical heroes, Joseph does not risk everything to perform a heroic act. He functions as a faithful servant of God, but it is God who moves through the events of Joseph's life to bring about the deliverance. So it's cool. What he's actually saying is that Joseph isn't the hero in the Joseph narrative, that God is actually the hero of the story, which is awesome. I agree with you, but it doesn't really help me out this morning because I'm supposed to be preaching about Joseph being the hero. So um, thanks a lot, Alan Ross. I appreciate you uh, ruining my sermon. I'm just just kidding. Joseph is a hero in a lot of ways. And if you are familiar with the story, you know that there are so many lessons that we could take out from his life. There are probably a year's worth of sermons that we could preach on from the life of this guy, Joseph. Genesis 37 to Genesis 50. But this morning, I want to just kind of take a step back. We're just going to look at a couple of scenes from Joseph's life. And I want to take a step back and look, kind of take a big picture. What happened... In his life at 17 years old that determined the course of the rest of his life. We're going we're gonna to look at, at this, this vision that Joseph had for his life. And we're going to ask ourselves a question. Do we have a similar vision for what our lives could be? Do we have a similar idea that, that God has a choice of us and a plan for us and a destiny? Something great for us to accomplish. Because I really think that at 17 years old he already had a vision for his life. That affected the course of the rest of his life. So we're going to start off in Genesis chapter 37 this morning. So if you want to flip there in your Bibles, that would be great. While you're flipping, I just want to remind you guys, on your way out today, there will be the missionary Christmas cards in the foyer. Sign a few of those. It's such an encouragement. As we heard Trey say earlier, our missionaries overseas, day in and day out, serving the Lord. And to get a Christmas card filled with a bunch of names from the church that supports them would be a huge blessing. So please uh, stop by the tables on, on your way out. That'd be great. All right. Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. And now Jacob lived in the land where his, where his father had sojourned, in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Billah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now, Israel Israel is another name for Jacob, Joseph's father. Israel loved Joseph more than all of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. And his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. So here's our introduction to Joseph. Genesis chapter 37, I've titled this chapter um, Destiny and Deception because it's, we're first introduced to um, kind of this great sense of destiny that Joseph had in his life. And it started at an early age because he was first chosen by his father. We see that that Joseph was, was chosen by, father, by his father for a couple different reasons. The first was that even at 17 years old, he was setting himself apart and distinguishing himself as a faithful servant. And we see this, and where it says that uh, he brought back a bad report about his older stepbrothers. Okay, now, tattletaling has never been cool or popular, Okay, but this was a sign of Joseph's faithfulness and a sign of his trustworthiness. His older stepbrothers were pasturing his father's flocks, and apparently they weren't doing a very good job. They weren't doing what they were supposed to. And so as a faithful servant of his father, he comes back. He says, Dad, these knucklehead older brothers of mine, they're not getting it done. They're not cutting it. Okay, so he had set himself apart as a faithful servant. In addition to that, though, he was was clearly the favored son. He was the firstborn of Jacob's beloved wife, Rachel. If you're familiar with the story, his father Jacob had to serve this guy Laban for 14 years before he could marry Rachel, who was just kind of the love of his life. But even after he married Rachel, she was barren for several years. And so he actually took other wives and had uh, 10 sons through other wives before God opened Rachel's womb. And he was able to have Joseph through Rachel, his uh, kind of the, the, the his sweetheart, the girl that he picked first, and so because he was the firstborn of Rachel, uh, he was just always kind of the favorite son of Jacob. This made him the new owner of a multicolored tunic, or if you've ever been to a high school drama, uh, a multicolored dream coat. I don't really get that. I don't know where they got that from, but you might want to avoid those dramas. I've been to one. There, they're okay. Uh, here's the deal with this, okay? The, uh, the multicolored tunic was a, a long sleeve robe. It went down to your wrists. It went down to your ankles. And here's the deal. It was meant to be an external designation that this son of mine, he is the chosen future leader of our family. So he's going to get a bigger part of the inheritance, and he is going to rule over this family. Now, this is the family of Israel, so this is a big deal. This is a nation in the making. Okay, so, so very early we see Joseph was chosen by his father very clearly. And uh, things only got worse, actually, in in verse 5. We're going to pick it back up in verse 5 and see kind of where it goes from here. We see that Joseph then had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect. And behold... Your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brothers said to him, "Joseph, are you actually going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule over us one day?" So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So he was already in, in hot water to begin with with his brothers. They hated him. He was a tattletale. He was the favorite son, right? But then uh, to make matters worse, Joseph reports that he's had a dream. The dream would have confirmed not only was Joseph chosen by his father, but that he was in fact chosen by God to be the future leader of this family. Um, Alan Ross, the guy who ruined my sermon earlier, he said uh, that the report of Joseph's dreams forms the divine call of Joseph. His choice by God to lead the nation. See, in in the ancient Near East, dreams were highly regarded as having divine origin. And if you're familiar, this isn't the first time in this family where God used dreams to communicate his future plans to to his people. Think of Abraham. Think of Jacob. And now with Joseph, he has these two dreams that would have confirmed his father's choice of him. So the point is, is that at 17 years old, having been chosen by his father, having that choice confirmed through these dreams that he was actually chosen by God at 17 years old. He had a huge vision for what his life was going to be, for what his life could be. He had a huge sense of his destiny at 17 years old. And I believe that this shapes what we see in the rest of Joseph's story. From this point on, the, the rest of chapter 37, Joseph is sent out again by his father to go check on his brothers. They're out pasturing the flocks again. Joseph is sent out once again. This time, as he approaches his old brothers, some of you have heard the story. Um, his older brothers, as they see him walking up in the distance, they begin to plot. Okay, here comes our little punk brother, his dreams about being our ruler one day, favorite son. And so they begin to plot, we're going we're to kill our younger brother. Remember, their hatred for him was intense. And it had developed and it, has gro- it had grown. And now they're planning on killing him. Well, at this point, I think the providence of God really intervened because um, a slave-trading caravan passed by. And so instead of killing him, they decide, why don't we make some money off of him instead? I mean, that's a better deal for us. So they sell him into slavery, they fake his death, and then they go and deceive their father into thinking that Joseph, his favorite son, was killed, actually was torn apart by wild animals. They ripped off his long sleeve tunic, they killed a goat, dipped it in goat blood, and then, you know, splashed some water in their face, probably to make it look like they were crying, and then brought it to dad and like, "Oh, our brother, got, you know, he got torn apart by a wild beasts," and they deceived their father. And they they were saying to themselves, "Let's see what becomes of this kid's dreams." They were taking it in their own hands. Now we're not cool with our father's choice. We're not cool with God's choice. We're not going to have this younger brother rule over us. We're going to take it in our hands. We'll see what comes of his dreams. So they deceive their father. And Joseph is sold to some slave traders. And this is where we encounter really Joseph's uh, first great test. He gets betrayed by his brothers. And he gets enslaved. And imagine it. I mean, he's, he's, he's in some slave trading caravan. He probably doesn't know where he's going He's been separated from his beloved father. He's just been betrayed by his brothers. His hands and and feet are probably bound in chains. And he's thinking, wait, hold up. What about these dreams? I thought God had a different plan for me. I thought God had a different destiny for me. And so we see his first great test. In the midst of this adversity, what would happen to his faith in the dreams? Or in other words, would he despair over the loss of his destiny, or would he remain faithful to the God who had chosen him? Would, would the adversity that he was encountering ruin his faith, ruin his vision for what his life could be? Or would he hold on? We're going to pick this story up um, in chapter 39. We're going to pick this story up in chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt... And Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites, from the slave traders, who had taken him down to Egypt. And the Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he owned, he put in his charge. So I've, I've titled chapter 39 Providence and Prosperity, because right off the bat, as this story picks back up in chapter 39, we see the providence of God in this, okay? These slave traders bring Joseph to Egypt, and he's sold as a slave. But he's not sold to some like low-ranking official, you know, to like work in his garden or something like that. He is sold to the head of security, to Pharaoh's number one bodyguard, the captain of the bodyguard, this guy named Potiphar. And my guess is that immediately Joseph is thinking, wow, this is a pretty nice house. This guy must be pretty important. I got myself a good deal here. God is up to something. I really believe that he was like, okay, wait, man, God is up to something. But then furthermore, um, God is confirming to Joseph, I am with you, I am up to something. It says twice that the Lord was with him, and it clearly shows us that this was the cause of his prosperity. Immediately, in Potiphar's house, everything Joseph touches just starts going well. Potiphar sees this, recognizes this, and with his prosperity came a much higher level of responsibility. Potiphar raised him up, says, you know what? Everything you're doing is going so well. I want you to run my household for me. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to let you run it for me. And it makes me think of this verse in in Luke 16. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. Jesus said this. And if you're dishonest in in the very little, you'll also be dishonest in much. It started with Joseph just being a faithful servant to his father. And then it started in Potiphar's house just being a faithful servant with whatever it was. But then gradually he began to be entrusted with more and more. And this is how how life goes, right? I mean, they don't just put a a young youth pastor right out of seminary up on stage at Southwood right off the bat, right? They put him with the teenagers for a few years to see if he's faithful, to see if he can do the job, right? And if he survives, then, you know, he gets to come up on stage once a week or, or once a year, whatever. Okay? But it's, you, it, Joseph has proven himself in, in little things, and he's been entrusted with much more. And it's really with this prosperity that we're in, we encounter this question. Is this indeed a blessing? Is the, is the prosperity that he's enjoying, is it a blessing? The easy answer and the short answer is yes. But it's also a test. Prosperity is also a test. See, when Joseph was, was rotting in the bottom of, of a pit, he wasn't encountered with with what he's about to encounter here in the prosperity of Potiphar's house. I love the way uh, Charles Swindoll said, the temptations that accompany prosperity are far greater and far more subtle than those that accompany adversity. In this place of prosperity in Potiphar's house, Joseph encountered a huge temptation. And this is where we really see his second great test. I call her the temptress, right? Potiphar's wife. A lot of you are familiar with this story. We're going to pick it up in verse 7. It came about after these events. We're still in uh, chapter 39. That his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, looked with desire at her servant Joseph, and she said, lie with me. Okay, here's the, the invitation. Guys, sometimes... Uh, The enemy is not creative at all in his temptation, okay? She just puts it out there. Servant boy, come on. I want you to lie with me. I want you to be intimate with me. We see uh, in verse 8, he refused, okay? She sent an invitation. He RSVP'd. He said no, okay? Behold, with me, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, And he has put all that he owns in my charge. There's no one greater in this house than I. And he's withheld nothing from me except for you because you're his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Joseph responded instinctively to this advance from Potiphar's wife with a refusal. And I believe it's because long before this day, he had been guarding himself against this wife that was in his master's house. makes me think about Proverbs 6. Again, Proverbs speaks a lot about avoiding the adulteress. It says this, The commandment is a light to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, from Potiphar's wife. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her catch you with her eyelids. Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Joseph's second great test. Potiphar's wife literally throws herself at him. He's a good-looking man, the scripture tells us. He's a prospering servant. He's now the, the head of the household right behind Potiphar himself. She throws himself at him. But I believe long before that day, Joseph understood this, and he had trained himself to guard himself. And really, uh, I want the guys to tune in a little bit more right now. If you've lost me a little bit, guys, check this out. He had trained himself long before this day in two ways. First of all, he was guarding his heart from desiring Potiphar's wife in his heart. You guys know what I'm talking about. You know what this means, to desire in your heart. And you have the choice in your heart when you're encountered with an attractive woman to act on that desire and to desire in your heart or to refuse yourself and to walk in self-control. And that's the first step of preparing yourself to resist Temptation. Secondly, he knew that the power was in her eyes. And guys, also, you know what this is talking about. When an attractive woman is looking you down or trying to catch your eyes, man, Jesus said the eyes are the window to your soul. If you lock in, you let yourself you let yourself connect with her eyes, man, you've already lost. And now she comes up and she just throws herself at you like Potiphar's wife and says, Lie with me. Man, you're already done. You've already lost the battle. But it wasn't just because of that moment. It's because you hadn't been guarding your heart and guarding your eyes previously. He had been preparing himself. And so it was instinctive for him to flee. And we see that Potiphar's wife wasn't cool with this rejection. Day after day, she kept throwing herself at Joseph. Day after day, until finally... She just grabs him, okay? This is just shameless, okay? Like, shameless, uncreative temptation. Okay, she just grabs Joseph. And it's probably more of a command at this point. Remember, he was a servant than an invitation. Grabs him by his shirt and says, lie with me. And his instinct was to flee. He ran away. Maybe the Apostle Paul was thinking about this when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee sexual immorality. Okay. Run, get out of there. You know, when it grabs onto your arm, get away. Let's not over spiritualize it. You know what I mean? It's not like when Potiphar grabs your arm, God wants you to start. Okay. God, uh, please help me. Um, you know, not, not sleep with this woman. Who's like taking off my clothes right now next to me. You know, don't over spiritualize it. Just get out of there. Run away. Right. Cut the internet cord, block the channels, whatever it is that you've got to do to guard your heart, guard your mind, run away, run away. Alan Ross said that the way of wisdom is to consider the cost of sin. Joseph did not yield because he was convinced that God had something marvelous for him to do. Okay, I know we've kind of stepped into this story a little bit, but let's step back. The point today is the big picture. Remember, Joseph, 17 years old, huge vision for his life, huge sense of his destiny, then he gets betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery. How's he going to respond? Where's his faith going to be? We see God is still with him. He raises up him up in Potiphar's house, his position of authority. And then he encounters the second great test, temptation, thrown shamelessly, right at his face. How's he going to respond? And in both instances, we see him respond so faithfully to these circumstances that he encounters. And I, I believe that it was rooted in this truth, that he was convinced God had a plan for his life. Something significant for him to do. And he wasn't going to throw it away for a few moments of enjoyment with some hot Egyptian woman. And he persevered. Now we've got to be fair and and tell the rest of the story. Uh, She lied about it. He runs away, she ends up with his coat in his hand, and so she screams, and some other uh, servants come in, and she falsely accuses Joseph, actually, of trying to lie with her, of trying to rape her. And so Joseph gets thrown in prison. He gets thrown in prison. And there's a couple of things to, to kind of mention. Obedience is not always rewarded immediately. Will it be rewarded? Will faithfulness be rewarded? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it will not always be rewarded immediately. Joseph was thrown in prison. But again, I think we see the providence of God in this. This accusation, the sentence for for this kind of act was, was death. Joseph should have been put to death. But God was up to something, and I think Joseph continued to see that. He gets put in jail. That's actually kind of where we're going to stop in terms of like the Joseph story this morning If you haven't read the rest of it go read the rest of it But I want to step back and look because we've seen Joseph respond incredibly well to two great trials already And I want us to step back and look at, at how what was it that enabled him to do that take a look at the big picture I said it earlier at age 17 Joseph had a sense of his destiny That he had a vision for the purpose of his life. That God was going to raise him up to reign over his brothers, to reign over his family. And to be the ruler of his family. Because he understood this purpose, it created perspective in his life. So when he was betrayed, when he encountered adversity, when he encountered temptation, he had perspective to say, okay, wait. There's something bigger going on here. So I I don't have to get bitter at my brothers. I don't have to get angry at my brothers. I'm not going to give in to this temptation. He had perspective. There's something going on. God is up to something more in my life. This perspective, I believe, is what enabled Joseph to persevere faithfully as he encountered these different things. And I'm going to kind of ruin the rest of the story, but go read it. It's awesome. But it was this type of faithful perseverance that eventually led to Joseph fulfilling the plan that God had for him. But look at this progression. Had he not had a great sense of his destiny, had a great understanding of his purpose, he wouldn't have had the perspective that he had when all these crazy circumstances came his way. And he wouldn't have been able to persevere faithfully. And we wouldn't be talking about him this morning. Because when Potiphar grabbed his arm and said, lie with me, he would have been done for. And we'd be talking about somebody else. Because God would have raised up somebody else to fulfill his plan in Joseph's place. And Joseph would have missed out on this great destiny that God had for him. He would have forfeited it. Okay, football season's right around the corner. I know everybody's excited, right? We live in a, a football-crazed town, whether it's Consol or, or obviously Texas A&M, right? And these guys have been out. The high schoolers have been out for weeks doing two-a-days. Aggie football, they've been out practicing early in the morning, late in the evening, getting ready, right? There's something that is driving these men to willingly subject themselves to a 100-degree temperature in August and practice hour after hour and endure this just crazy crazy weather crazy circumstances and just wear themselves out and so i kind of want to put it up here this idea of these football players i think they understand we've got a purpose man we've got a vision for this season we're going to win we've got a destiny possibly in front of us we're going to win But it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of faithfulness to get there. And so it creates this perspective for these guys. So when they're out there at 6 o'clock in the evening and it's 102 degrees and they're sweating bullets and they're wearing themselves out to get ready for football season, they're able to persevere. They're able to push on. They're able to keep going. When they're tempted to quit because practice was hard and hot and terrible... They get up the next morning and they come back. They persevere because they've got a vision for their life. They understand their purpose. And hopefully, if our offense can score enough points, they're going to fulfill this plan, right? And have this great season, destiny. But they understand clearly their purpose. Creates perspective, enables them to persevere. When I was 19 years old, I came to Texas A&M University, um, and I was a wild child. I was uh, not really interested in in walking with the Lord. Um, I believed that Jesus was was Lord. I had even trusted that he had paid the price for my sin. But I wasn't too interested in in actually having a relationship with God. And uh, about two weeks into my freshman year here at A&M, the Lord shook things up in my life quite a bit. I was sitting in my dorm room one night, getting ready for bed. I had just pledged a fraternity. I had all these plans for my life in college to be just wild and fun and crazy. Um, And God's plans were different. And he shook me up. That night in my dorm room, um, I can't really describe it other than uh, God moved and I was on my knees. And I was like, what am I doing with my life? All these things that I'm chasing after and all these things I'm pursuing, they're leaving me miserable. What is, this is empty. And God totally changed my heart, turned my life around, 19 years old. Some old Young Life leaders that I had in Houston where I went to high school had heard that Chris Pletcher, this kind of wild child who had just graduated from high school, um, had had this huge turnaround. That Chris Pletcher was a Christian now or, or, you know, was walking with God now. And so they invited me to come back to my old high school. This is my freshman year of college. um, And to like speak at at a Young Life club. And to just kind of share a little bit of my story. And it was the first time that I had ever publicly spoken about the Lord or about my faith. So I got to go back to my high school and share with them a little bit of my testimony. And it was so phenomenal. And I got up and I shared what I had planned on sharing. And afterwards, there was just this incredible amount of affirmation from people. Oh my gosh. You, you have such a gift. You have such an ability to speak, to, to communicate. That was awesome. Oh, my goodness. I had never thought about that before. I had never even considered that before. But at 19 years old, this birthed a vision in my life. Oh, my gosh. You mean God has gifted me to do something? You mean, what, my, my abilities can influence and encourage other people? At 19 years old, a vision was birthed in my mind that I could be used by God to do something great. And here I am 10 years later, and that vision is, is still in process. The Lord's allowed me greater and greater opportunities to speak, to share, to teach the Bible. It's the passion of my life. I love doing it. And it started because at 19 years old, I just got a glimpse that I could, have a, I could have a purpose, be a part of God's plan. And that's where it comes down to us this morning. As we try to Take something away from this message of Joseph's life. The first thing that I want to challenge us in and the first thing that I want to, to, to get you guys to think about is do you have a firm understanding of your purpose in life? Do you have a firm grasp of your purpose in life? Now, first and foremost, our purpose, all of us, without fail, is to be in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so if you've come in here this morning and, and a friend brought you or, or you're just visiting and check it out and you can't with confidence say, I have a relationship with God. I know for a fact that he is my God. I'm cool with him. He's taken my sin away. We have peace. Man, that's the application for you this morning. Um, step into to relationship with God. Step into relationship with God. Made possible only through Jesus Christ who took All of our sin, yours, mine, past, present, future, upon himself, died on the cross to remove the massive obstacle of our sin so that we could step into a relationship with God, so that we could have peace with God, so that we could enjoy eternal relationship with God, a gift offered to be received only by faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, man, there it is. That's your application. Step into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But if that already describes you, um, you have a big purpose in life as a child of God, as a saved child of God, uh, to to walk in service to God through Jesus Christ. And so specifically, um, I wonder and I ask, do you have a vision for your life? Do you have an understanding of what your life can mean for God's purposes, for God's kingdom? Part of that is, do you under, understand your spiritual gifts? Do you know how God has prepared you? The ways that he has specifically and individually equipped you to fulfill something. I hope you catch this this morning. Every single one of you guys, if you're a believer, man, God has something great for you to do. He has a great purpose for your life, a great vision for your life. He has, without fail, individually gifted every single one of you in some way. Do you understand what that is? If I asked you to tell me right now, what is your specific calling in life? What does God have for you to do right now? Could you answer me in one sentence? Now, I don't mean like, there are general callings that we all have to love God, to follow Jesus, to obey the scriptures, to worship Jesus, to live in community, to love our wives, to respect our husbands, to build godly families. All of us are called to those things, okay? All of us are called to those things. But beyond that, specifically, do you understand right now, because it could change in a couple of years, but right now, what does God have for me to do? What does he have for me to do? I believe this is crucial in creating perspective in our lives. We saw in the Joseph story, he understood his unique Calling and purpose, and it led to perspective. And the first thing that we need to ask ourselves is do we really believe that God is in control? Do we really believe that God is in control of the things that we encounter along the way? Because as we pursue our destiny, as we pursue some plan for our lives, we're going to encounter the adversity of suffering, the adversity of other people's persecution, we're going to encounter temptation. Do you believe that along the way God is in control and that he is working something, he is preparing something in your life so that you could persevere? And do you believe or have you counted the cost of sin? Do you have the perspective, if I give in to Potiphar's wife, here is what it's going to cost me, A, B, C, D. Now, obviously, it it doesn't cost your relationship with God. It doesn't cost your salvation, okay? Us sinning, having moral failure, that doesn't lose our relationship with God. But it could cost us opportunities in our service to God. It could cost us opportunities. I would lose a lot. If I had a Potiphar's wife failure, I would lose a lot. They probably wouldn't let me hang out with your kids anymore, to say the least. Do you have perspective? Have you created perspective? We have the privilege as we're closing this morning to share in communion. The the deacons are going to come down and start passing out the elements. Their legs are probably tired. They've been back there for like 10 minutes. Sorry, guys. They're going to pass out crackers and uh, some juice and we're going to share in communion this morning. And as they pass these elements out, I I want to just remind us, refresh us. Um, The purpose of communion is to reflect upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The purpose of communion is to remember what Jesus has done for us. The bread is symbolic of the fact that he bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to God. The juice is symbolic of the blood of Jesus that was spilled so that our sins could be covered This is a time of remembrance. It's a time of reflection. Drinking this little cup of juice and and eating this little cracker. It's not going to cover all your sin for the week or anything like that. It's just a time for you to reflect upon what Jesus has done. To open a way into relationship with Him. Scripture says that we're to examine ourselves as we enter into communion. So um, as we take communion together, as we share communion together, examine your hearts. If there's... um, something between you and the Lord that you need to deal with you need to confess bring it before the Lord examine your heart and then secondly I encourage you as the band plays a song we're going to take communion together they're going to play a kind of a closing song um, in addition to examining your heart before the Lord I encourage you to think about some of these questions I mean could I answer my specific calling in life right now in one sentence do I have a vision for my life And what God wants to do with me, through me? Could I answer that? Maybe God will help you clarify that this morning. Maybe you're in the middle of of some great adversity and you need to think, man, do I believe that God's in control, that He's preparing me? Think about some of these questions uh, as we share communion together. I think it's all out, just about. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. The Apostle Paul writes... For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they ate the bread. And in the same way, he took the cup also, after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And they drank. He said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We reflect, we remember the Lord Jesus laid down his body, spilled his blood to bring us into peace with God. So as these guys close us in a song, reflect upon that. Reflect upon some of these questions. chapter 2 verse 10 says that in Christ we have been chosen and saved for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them meaning that if you are chosen son or daughter of God that he has specifically gifted you and has something specific for you to walk in in your service to him and fulfilling the destiny of your life for his glory And I pray that all of us would be refreshed and reminded this morning that in Christ we have been gifted and we have been called to walk in something specifically and that you would come closer today in understanding what that is for you. And that I would come closer for myself as well. And that we would walk in faithfulness as Joseph did with perspective that our lives have great significance and value as we walk in the gifts that God has given us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning. God, we praise you for your grace that you have given us free and eternal life through faith in your son, Jesus Christ, who has removed the massive barrier of our sin, of my sin, so I could stand that peace with you and relationship with you and so that I could walk in fulfillment of have a specific plan that you have laid out, it says, beforehand for me to walk in. God, I pray for each of us in here this morning that we would walk in that plan that you have for our lives. That you help us see it and understand it, God. We love you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a great Sunday.